Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. My name is Herb and I'm an alcoholic and my, I really welcome you to this, I think going to be very interesting gathering today. I'm going to wait for some introductions uh, uh, for a minute, but I want to turn it over to Melissa. She represents the retreat center that supports this series, the spirituality series, which we do at least one a month and sometimes co-facilitated as we are today. So Melissa, are you with us today? I am. I'm here. There you go. Good day. Good afternoon. Good evening to all. My name is Melissa. I'm part of the Mary and Joseph Retreat Center hospitality team. The Mary and Joseph Retreat Center, in case you haven't heard about us, we were established in 1963 by the Daughters of Mary and Joseph. And we were envisioned by the late sister Mary Ignatius. And this retreat center, an eight acre retreat center, actually started off as a couple's retreat center. So we have um, a little over 30 hotel style like bedrooms. And if you ever get a chance to take a peek, it's kind of set up like Lucy and Desi. Lucy's here, Desi's here. <laughs> but now we welcome all walks of life. So in case you're in the area, please stop by. I would love to give you a tour here. If you want more information about any of the events, as well as Herb's future workshops, please visit our website, maryjoseph.org for upcoming times, dates, etc. So thank you so much for giving us this time and your support. Thank you so much, Herb, and thank you, Joe, also. Thanks so much, uh, Melissa. Always wonderful to have you represent the retreat center and support us in this administration and some marketing and because they place my material and events on their website. Uh, the, mature, the, the retreat center has been incredibly instrumental in my life. My wife went up, it, we've been uh, a, a mile from the retreat center since 1970. And my wife went there in 1983 for a women's retreat. And during the next year, she discovered her problem with alcohol and to, began to take care of that. I got caught in the draft, uh, went to support her and then found out I needed help. A, a very different story. <clears throat> so um, it over, it's an eight acre uh, place and, and Melissa's invitation is representative of the hospitality, that's their charism. And so there would be a spirit of welcome uh, eight acres of just, uh, it's an oasis in the Southern California area. Half of the campus overlooks the ocean, half of the campus overlooks the city. It doesn't get much better than that. We're scheduled to be together until about one o'clock my time. That's about three hours. We'll take a break after an hour, hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, and basically see how the flow of this, it's not scripted, it's very spontaneous, although it's organized, both Joe and I have some PowerPoint supports um, that also will be included in the video uh, recording. <clears throat> um, but first, before we get into it, um, as Melissa indicated, uh, I've got an extensive background in spirituality. I studied to be a Catholic priest for seven years. I'm not sure exactly what Joe's background is, 
but we're probably as different as you can see on the screen. You might notice that I don't, and he does have hair. <laughs> Joe, would you like to say a few words? Hi, my name's Joe, and I'm a different alcoholic. <laughs> uh, hi, everybody. Uh, it is so great to be a guest here. Um, I've been in the recovery community since uh, the Olympics were in Montreal. If you want to <laughs> check Google, you can find out how long that's been. And um, I, uh, um, I'm a member of the Beyond Belief Agnostics and Free Thinkers uh, group in Toronto. We used to meet in a University of Toronto classroom. We started in 2009 in the fall, and now we're an international Zoom meeting. Um, we look forward to going back to the classroom uh, whenever that is available, but uh, we're uh, delighted in terms of how easy it's been for people, especially of special purpose groups, just to find each other, find our tribe, find people who... Uh, look the same as us, sound the same as us, uh, talk the same as us, and uh, uh, re you know, recover the same as us, and uh, to a certain extent. Um, professionally, uh, my uh, profession is uh, finance and writing. I write about, I, I first started writing about billiards, uh, then it was finance, uh, um, addiction, mental health, music, uh, all, all of those things have more in common than you would think. They, they sound disconnected. They all think they're the biggest drinkers in the world. I'll tell you that much. And um, uh, around the turn of the century, I went looking for a secular daily reflection book and couldn't find one and complained to my friends. And they listened for a few weeks until someone said, well, Joe, if there was to be a... Um, an agnostic or atheist daily reflection book, who do you think could write it? Just, just, just saying here, Joe. And uh, I thought, okay, okay, call to action. And so I wrote uh, Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings for 12-Step Life. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I do a lot of research about um, uh, special purpose groups and uh, uh, underrepresented populations in the recovery community. I I'm, I'm not, uh, um, you know, well-educated, but I go to places that are full of doctors and academics. And I was at the Recovery Capital Conference of Canada in Calgary, Alberta earlier this month and academics and professionals and treatment people talking about what's going on. They love us uh, and they tell us, uh, uh, they give us some context, the things we already knew, but with the data. So more about me later. Thanks for having me, Herb. Oh, really wonderful. Joe and I met <clears throat> over 10 years ago, and we, I had the pleasure of driving him to a conference in Arizona. So we did spend some quality time together uh, for the first time, and um, a risk on both of our parts, but it turned out well. <laughs> All right. So this first part is going to be a sharing of my knowledge and my experience with regard to steps two and three. I come from a pretty traditional background. As I said, I studied to be a Catholic priest for seven years, 
and I have some information from that, which I had to overcome. Quite frankly, I didn't know that because it was the block to me. I came in the program in 1984 and um, I'm a serious guy. So I took it seriously. Uh, I take myself too seriously sometimes, but be that as it may, um, I, I found a step guide in four years. It took that long uh, for me to even realize that the steps were something that I needed to actually understand and apply and have an experience with because it would change me. For four years in AA, I went to meetings every day, called my sponsor every day, but I didn't do anything with the book or the steps other than study them by going to step meetings and book studies. Yeah, I mean, of course, but uh, the man who first talked me about, or took me through the steps said, Herb, you have a lot of information, but you have no transformation. Four years sober, he saw the truth that I hadn't changed and I hadn't been changed. I went through those steps at that time, blowing by two and three, because I, I, I was a monk for seven years, seven years of silence. And I studied philosophy and psychology and theology. I know some helpful stuff. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> the next time I went through the steps three years later, I had the same prejudice, not in the sense of an awareness that I had a filter through which I was looking that was in fact not accurate. I didn't know that I didn't know. I couldn't see that I didn't see. And then this man in the third journey through the steps, which I'll share a little bit today about, uh, took me at 10 years of sobriety into the book process from a different standpoint. I'm going to now put some slides up. So this is myself and Joe, and we both have websites and perhaps we'll, somebody will put that in the chat for us also. I want you to ask yourself a question now. What is your understanding? Well, we're gonna be talking about steps two and three. They're the heart of the matter. Bill calls step two the cornerstone and step three the keystone of a spiritual arch through which we'll walk to a new freedom. Well, what's your, I mean, you've heard it in the rooms. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Okay, what does spiritual mean? I'm spiritual, all right? Joe is spiritual. I come at it from a different path up the mountain. Joe refers to him as secular. What does that mean? And he'll explain more than I can about what that means, a different path up the mountain. Same mountain, same end game, but different vocabulary. Probably not a different experience, just different vocabulary. Ask yourself here. Right now, I hope you have a pen and paper. I'll be asking questions. So Joe will probably be asking you to ask yourself questions. Why are you here? I mean, it's Saturday, it's spring. We're talking about three hours. Why would you do that? You even paid some money for it. Those fees, by the way, all go to the retreat center to support their work. They've had a really tough time during the pandemic. 
What is your current belief about God? You have to hear the question, though, please. Well, you don't have to do anything, but I encourage you to hear the question. I didn't ask you what you think. I didn't ask you what you know. I didn't ask you what you read, what the big book says, what your sponsor says, what your parents said, what your religious exposure has said. Today, sitting here, <clears throat> participating in this event. Right now, what's your current belief about power? What's your current belief about God? What's your current belief about higher power? What's your current belief about a reality bigger than and other than yourself? Those are all synonyms. The God, the book says, as we understand God, I've adopted and adapted that to now my reality is God as I don't understand it. As Groucho Marx said, and that's probably dating me, <clears throat> he was one of the early comedians on black and white television. He said, any country club that would allow me to be a member, I wouldn't want to be a member of. Well, a variation on that is <clears throat> any God that I can understand is not big enough. The ocean will not fit in a bucket. And I just am a bucket. And Bill says that in many places, and I'm sure Joe and I'll be referring to some aspects of the vocabulary in the big book and our interpretation and experience with it. What do you currently believe here today about power? You'll find that I'll be not using the G-O-D word a lot. Not because I have a problem with it, I don't. It's a placeholder. It's a symbol. It allows a lot of conversation without a lot of awkwardness. We're going to spend three hours talking about the same reality, but using words, I mean, a whole dictionary full of words. And just to avoid that awkwardness of communication, we use the word God or power or higher power as we understand it, or as I said, as I don't understand it. I don't need to understand it. Einstein, I just love pithy, P-I-T-H-Y, sayings that are wisdom sayings from wisdom people. The consciousness that created the problem cannot be the consciousness that solves the problem. My mind is the source of my problems, so I can't use my mind as the source of my solution. This man at 10 years of sobriety introducing me to the set-aside attitude. He said, convert it into a prayer, which is, especially in the context of this conversation, it's more about an attitude, it's more about an affirmation, it's more about an open mind and an open heart. I've, I've cleaned up the prayer in the sense of not using the G-O-D word. I've adopted and adapted to this particular discussion, not because I have any problem with the G-O-D word, as I said, I do not, or the higher power word, I do not. But to try to have us have an experience broader than the blah, 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 I challenge all the words, mine and when people speak, you, any of those of you who have had exposure to me, 
I try to challenge it in the in the kindness, love, and tolerance spirit of AA. Sometimes I slip off the path. <laughs> so please join me. All this is is a confirmation that today, at least for this next period of time, you're going to have an open mind and an open heart to listen without prejudice, to listen with that open mind and open heart for the pot potential of having new information and or a new experience. We're talking about power. So that's how I begin. Power greater than ourselves. Please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, the 12 steps and you for an open mind and a new experience with myself, the 12 steps and especially you. And it's a prayer from my perspective, not to change the reality of power, but to open up my mind and heart and to be changed. I actually know that I am powerless to set aside. I am powerless to have that kind of open heart and open mind. I don't even know that I don't know, and I don't even see that I don't see, and I want to be taken to a place that I don't even know exists. But I'm convinced that it's possible. This workshop will be based on some questions. We'll ask, like I already did, and you'll get some information. And I'll be asking you, and Joel will be asking you to take some action, perhaps, to reflect, maybe to write. <clears throat> or maybe some future readings. And then you'll have an experience, which will generate more questions. The questions, one of my teachers said, is much more important than the answers. Ask the question and allow the asked but unanswered question to percolate and to take you to a level of consciousness that you had not had before, to take you to a place that you don't even know exists. And if that sounds a bit new agey, it's not, because I'm trying to put words to my actual experience at 10 years of sobriety. What I discovered was, <clears throat> having gone through the steps two different times previous to that, having had dramatic, and I'll explain them some other time, but not today, dramatic, radical changes in the way I thought and felt and behaved. Blowing by steps two and three did not prevent a spiritual awakening. And so this third time going through the steps <clears throat> with the set-aside attitude, <clears throat> I discovered that my concept of God that came from my religious tradition and all the background that I had was the very impediment to my relationship with the mystery. My concept, my thinking, my knowledge, my conviction were the very things that were blocking me from a relationship, a dynamic, authentic, vital relationship with the mystery. We have an open mic. Please close it. Thank you. So I, I, I was in bondage and I didn't know it in 1984. I discovered I was an alcoholic. I was in bondage of, of self until I, in 1988, began the step work, my journey, going through it three or four different times over the next 20 years. 
getting free from my addiction, but more properly getting free from my unmanageability. So ask yourself these questions. Where is my life not working? Today, unmanageability is the spiritual malady. Unmanageability is the human condition. Unmanageability is the best kept secret in the rooms. Most people think it's connected to addiction. My experience, maybe my opinion, but my experience and understanding of unmanageability is it has nothing to do with addiction. That's why there's a dash there, not an end. How effective have your efforts been to have a decent life, to live in emotional sobriety, to live with serenity and contentment? Do you really want to change? In light of what I believe about power, you wrote down, I hope, or you at least thought about my question. What do you believe? Here's the question that oh, parted the curtain for me. How do I behave? I wrote out what I believe it was a wonderful theological treatise. A week later, when he asked me that second question, how do you behave, write your answer out. In light of what you believed you believe, I was embarrassed because my feet did not move in concert with my head. My feet showed me that I was a practical agnostic, not a theoretical agnostic, a practical one. I didn't act as if God was relevant. I didn't act as if there was a power that I needed to have a relationship with. I didn't have a daily consistent practice of meditation. I relied on myself. If I needed to do something, get something, Achieve something. I got up earlier. I ran harder. I stayed up later and I read more and I went to more workshops. I wasn't reliant on a power other than myself. I could talk a good game, but I could not walk it. I did not walk it. So I asked that question of you to ask yourself about spirituality versus religion. The Buddhists have just a wonderful image. They say the master stands on the path pointing the way to the light. Unfortunately, many of the disciples begin worshiping the finger. Religion is worshiping the finger. The finger is a tool to point the way to the light. Spirituality is that relationship with the light. Spirituality is the relationship. The steps are the tool, a relationship with power. This is what we're looking for. A relationship with ourselves in steps four through seven, a relationship with others, steps eight and nine. It's all about spirituality. My, my translation for a synonym would be relationship. It has nothing to do with that word God or higher power, or spirit. The word spirit, in fact, comes from the Greek word breath, spiros. A relationship with my breath, a relationship with breath, a relationship with life. And then to live this way of life in 10, 11, and 12, which is a rinse and repeat of steps one through nine. 
a relationship. The, the promise of the 12-step process is encapsulated in step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening. Uh, an awakening of my spirit, an awakening of my consciousness, an awakening of my awareness. But it's not about certitude and it's not about feeling and it's not about anything that's particularly phenomenal, experiential, other than change. A change in the way we think and feel and behave. This is the promise of the 12 steps, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. This is the message. And it's done to us, not by us, uh, but not without us. That mystery of my willingness to take action and grace, God's grace, grace of life, grace of the mystery, grace of power other than ourselves that which I cannot understand, that reality that is, I believe that it is, I act as if it's true. That's my faith decision. One of my teachers talks about human beings having a core of goodness. I love that phrase. The first book of the Hebrew scripture, the Torah, Genesis, talks about God made humans in God's image and likeness. God made them male and female. Fabulous meditation. God made humans in God's image and likeness. What's he talking about? This shepherd on a hill in a moonlit spring night watching the sheep writing this answer to the questions that we're asking right now. God made them male and female. It's interesting to note, in case you don't know it, Adam isn't the first man. Adam, Adam, is the Arabic word for earth or dirt. God made humans from earth or dirt. <laughs> Adam is not the name. It's a description of where we come from. We come out of the earth. We have a core of goodness. That gives our life meaning, that life force. One of the co-facilitators that you've become used to me working with is Dr. Alan Berger, a clinical psychologist with 50 years of sobriety. He talks about the organismic life force. I'm peppering my comments with words that will, I hope, make it easier for Joe to talk about his experience in the approach, not using the traditional vocabulary that comes out of organized religion or theology. And then of course we have genetics, which determine who we are, family culture, who we are, emotions and experiences, who we are, and psychology and education, who we are. Notice the, 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 the dolls, you've seen them in gift shops, they all fit into a nice package of the larger doll and each one of them looks the same. That's who we are. We have every one of these masks in front of us and the 12 step process is to unmask us so that we get to the original goodness 
the core of goodness, that life force that gives us meaning and purpose. Most of us have come to the program because we suffered and we experienced that we could not through our own efforts, through psychology, self-help, religion, therapy, whatever it was, we could not solve our addiction problem. If you're not an addict, this is still relevant because we couldn't solve our life problems. Many of the people in the rooms who have in fact been given the gift of abstinence and sobriety still have lives that are a mess and serial suffering because of unmanageability. We become brain dead to the word powerless. We use it so often, oh, I'm powerless. People, places, and things. Well, listen to the words. People, yes, places and things, it's not even relevant. People, circumstances, and events, that's thoughtful vocabulary. I don't have a choice. That's the word I use in, to replace the word powerless. I don't have a choice over my addiction and my unmanageability. Bill describes unmanageability in pages 60 to 62. If you want to have a startling, embarrassing, but life-giving experience, read page 60 to 62 in the personal pronoun present tense. Read it out loud. Personal pronoun, present tense, as you are today, make it personal. Pages 60 to 62. You'll have a brand new experience with the source of the suffering in your life. And Bill says, we can't even reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. It's insufficient. So is God, it's in quotes, is God necessary? This is a picture from the Sistine Chapel attempting by Michelangelo to create a picture of what I quoted from Genesis, God reaching down, touching the earth to create humans. Somebody made the observation, God's hand is really outstretched. Humans kind of limp, not, not too willing to accept. And that space in between represents for me the grace, that mystery that I do not understand. I accept it in retrospect because now it's my experience. But what is it? Yes, capital I and capital T. What is it that Bill is talking about, the big book is talking about? God as we understand it, God as we don't understand it. He gives us an alternative word, higher power. He entitles chapter four intended to bring us through step two, and it does a fabulous job. He, he, he titles it, we agnostics, we doubters, we people that don't believe about supernatural, about spiritual in the traditional sense. Dr. Berger talks very clearly about the higher self. Lots of people talk about the human spirit. Some people talk about the Holy Spirit. Lots of synonyms for the mystery that which cannot be named. Bill says that. Any word that we use is inadequate. He says it in the big book. Any word that we use is inadequate because it's a finite word 
posed by a finite being. And whatever it is that we're looking to capture in the word is infinite. Therefore, you cannot put a ocean in the bucket. What is the life force that brings that acorn to that oak tree? The acorn inherently knows. Given the right conditions, it will sprout and it will form that 100-year-old oak tree. That organismic life force that we're talking about here. It's my choice. I think the... special key given to us in the 12-step culture is that there is no dogma. There is no mandate. There is no vocabulary that you must use or choose. Page 53 captures it. God is or God isn't. What is your choice? God is or God isn't. Power is or power isn't. This mystery is, or this mystery isn't, what is your choice? He said, we're confronted with the question of faith. Well, I confronted myself. What is faith? My concept. Faith. What is it? Bill says that willingness is the cornerstone of the placed on the foundation of the spiritual arch through which we walk to a new freedom. Step three is the keystone. I'm assuming, Bill doesn't tell us this, that the components of step four are the building blocks because at the end of step five on page 75, he says, now we've walked through the arch to the new freedom. He has an image here, and it's wonderful to unpack it for ourselves, I believe, to really help us understand faith as a process. The model I use is the model that I discovered in step one, that I have a body that is genetically predisposed to addiction. I have a mind that is different than normal people. I have a strange mental blank spot in which the obsession is created, a special kind of thought. And I have no power over that obsession. And when the obsession hits, I take the drink and I experience the allergy because of the biological genetics. But obviously, Bill tells us that we have free will here in step two, because he's asking us to make a choice in contrast to that page 62 statement that we are not able to reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. So with regard to addiction and with regard to unmanageability, we don't have a choice, but with regard to power or no power, we do. What is your choice? Well, my mind doesn't create faith. In fact, faith is the opposite of certitude and knowledge. My body doesn't create faith because it's not an emotion. If I feel the presence of God, God's present. If I don't feel the presence of God, God's absence, it doesn't even make any sense. 
Bill has used the model of the willpower of decision and choice. This is faith. This empty, untangible, invisible, thin and dark decision in the light of the darkness of our step one experience of no choice, we're asked to make a choice. The alternative is what? I'm hopeless and helpless. I need a power other than myself. I don't know what it is. I make a decision that it is. That's my faith decision. Then my mind says, well, given the hopelessness of step one, I'm going to make that decision, not based on any evidence, not based on any feeling, but just based on <laughs> the choice that it's the only alternative I can see right now. So I accept it and that's my belief. I'm going to live as if it's true and act as if it's true. And that's my trust. And I've got now three clear definitions of words that are thrown around without much thought, or you look in the dictionary without much clarity. You look up those words, faith and belief and trust in a dictionary, it's circular. Some of my dictionaries said, faith is belief and belief is trust and trust is faith. Well, that wasn't very helpful. That's the snake eating its tail. This has all come to me in, in step, in, in the at 10 years of sobriety, when this man introduced me to the set-aside attitude and prayer, and then introduced me to unmanageability, the powerlessness of my will, and then introduced me to those two curtain-rending questions. What do you believe and how do you behave? And I was able to come to this in meditation. Came, oops, let me just go back to that end of that PowerPoint, because it was important. Step two says, came to believe. It's totally my experience, an experience of a process that progressively took me along a journey and opened up. In my case, the, the, there's uh, 20 different curtains that had to be pulled back one at a time over a series of actions on my part over a series of years of staying pressed up against this process. What is this power, this reality? Bill gives us the circle and the triangle for AA, and Alanon gives us the triangle and the circle for Alanon. It's a perfect combination the circle representing a symbol of the mystery, that infinite that has no beginning and has no end, and the triangle that represents human beings, body, mind, and will, as well as the three aspects of the 12-step culture. The steps are the foundation. The traditions are one of the lines coming down from the top, and the concepts are the other line coming down from the top. Three legacies, the steps for the conversion and transformation of the individual, the traditions for the unity of the individual as well as within the group and amongst the group, and the concepts, those 
wonderful 12 spiritual principles for running a nonprofit spiritual organization. It's a very heavy word, transcendent. In contemplation of him who presides over us all. That's words from the big book. That's that circle that encompasses the triangle. We're human beings, body, mind, and will. Spirit is our life force, that breath in us at the very least. Bill suggests in Appendix 2, unsuspected inner resource. And on page 55, he answers the question he asked on page 45, where and how are we going to find this power? He has two paragraphs, and he talks about deep inside. Another $100 word there, imminence. The circle within the triangle. Spirit everywhere. Bill had that mystical insight on page 53. God is or God isn't. God is everything or there is no God. He says God is nothing. It, my interpretation of that is God is everything or there is no God. The inside and the outside of all reality. It's an interesting con uh, contemplation and meditation. So what's your decision about your concept? That's really the question of step two. What do you need? What do you want? What do you need? What do you want in terms of the attributes or the qualities of power? My concept of God has changed not quite annually, but regularly. Certainly each time I did the step work, but I haven't done step work since 2003. It's been almost 20 years. But my concept of God, my relationship with this reality, this mystery, I have different words for and different phrases for over these many, many, many years. Gandhi says, our concept of God changes as we do. Step three is about another decision. It says it right in the step. I use the term relationship. The big book doesn't, but it gives us five examples on page 62 and 63 of relationships. Father and child, director and actor, principal and agent, employer and employee, creator and created or maker and made. Those are the five he gives us as samples, as models. What relationship do you yearn for with this mystery that's deep down inside of you? This power that we need in order to certainly be free from our addiction at the very least, but at the very most, have the power to manage our lives. Yes, I'm saying it that way. God doesn't manage my life. Power doesn't manage my life. Anything outside of me doesn't manage my life. I don't turn my will and my life over to, the, to God. 
I turn my will and my life over to the care of God, like the GPS. I get in my car. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to get there, but I have an address. There is a life force, and I go across purposes to the life force with my self-will. The whole point of the process of becoming authentically human is to be in alignment with reality. It's my car. They're my keys. I have a driver's license. I know how to drive. I have insurance on the car. I know where to go. But I don't know how to get there. So I put the address into the GPS, and I listen, and I follow direction, and I get to where I'm going. The rooms are wonderful for generating acronyms, using the first letter of words to create other words, GPS, God positioning system, power positioning system, reality positioning system. I can be in alignment when I sit quietly and get guidance. Step three is a decision for power. My relationship. That's that trust I mentioned earlier. Putting my feet into the action based on my decision about power. Bill calls it the keystone. That stone at the arch, the the, uh, the pinnacle of the arch that holds the entire arch together. A decision for a relationship. I asked you just five minutes ago to make a decision about what you want and need about a concept of power, God, as we don't understand it. Now I'm asking you, what kind of relationship do you want to have? What does your heart, your soul Everything in you yearn for in relationship. It's a commitment to alignment with reality. That's that serenity prayer. Wonderful. It's become my most favorite. I do not control anything. 30 years ago, I threw the word away, control. It's irrelevant. I don't have any control outside of me. I don't have any control inside of me. Really, truly, seriously, the word control, I have influence. What can I influence? What can't I influence? There's the wisdom. And I, I get wisdom over time by making mistakes and correcting them and learning from my mistakes. My mistakes don't name me. My mistakes guide me. Life is a practice. I practice life on a daily basis. A decision for a relationship. A decision for alignment. This is pathetic Herbie. 48 years old. Four years sober. Free of addiction, but in the bondage of self, of unmanageability. This is Herbie today. I still have the potential for victimhood. I still have the potential for bondage. But now I realize there's no ceiling. There's no floor. There's no walls. There's just pathetic Herbie holding on to the bars of delusion. 
and I now have tools to drop the bars. All right, I'm gonna wait on that one for a little bit. Maybe we'll go there. All right, so now that's a summary of a journey without a lot of depth, but I think you kind of get the picture of it. Um, I'm a pretty traditional big book person, a literalist and fundamentalist, and I believe the best of senses. Um, Joe, do you have any comments that you'd like to make? And then we'll take a little break. I think I need one, certainly, um, a bio break. Uh, but you make your comments and ask your questions. We'll have some dialogue, and then we'll take a little break, and then we'll come back, and you can address your journey and your thoughts about your, your uh, yeah. You, you are, I would refer to you as a fundamentalist in the greatest of senses, like not, not a, in any derogatory way oh, no. whatsoever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because I got sober in uh, uh, a place in AA geographically, it was Montreal in the mid 70s and uh, um, sort of culturally that was pre- big book primacy mm -hmm. yes there was a, there was always a big book at the meeting that's how you knew you were in an aa meeting it was a prop and um you know uh still no is in some meetings <laughs> yeah yeah now well the meetings of montreal were almost all speaker meetings mm -hmm. there were a few discussion meetings if anything was read, it would be Grapevine or Living Sober or Came to Believe. Uh, those two booklets had just come out, and mm. so they were the hot item. Mm -hmm. um, you know, look, something new from the general service office. Right. They'd sometimes read Box 459, mm. News and Notes from the general service office, but almost always the meetings were speaker meetings. And the learning about the program and the learning about AA was one alcoholic talking to another. It wasn't book-based learning in the time and space that uh, I got sober in. Now, I would come to uh, see this as a way of doing AA when I moved from Montreal and then I moved to Calgary and and in Calgary, it was a smaller town, a smaller AA community, smaller meetings. It wasn't like, uh, you know, 50, 100, 150 people in a meeting. It was a dozen people in a meeting, maybe three dozen. So they, they read the 12 and 12. Mm. It was more book-based. And then I moved to Toronto, and it was more, um, although at the time I was still in my... 20s when I moved to Toronto and uh, I was involved uh, largely in the young people's movement and and the larger a of course but but when I went beyond the sort of uh, young people's movement which wasn't interested in sitting down and charming ourselves about our our glorious past, we were more concerned about how can we make AA better for the alcoholics still to come? What can we alter or improve? Not everyone's making it. What are we going to do? Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, like uh, there came a time uh, when I was starting to reach 30 that going to the young people's meetings felt creepy. And I started going to the big book meetings, the other meetings. And and there they they loved them some big book and I saw it worked. Right. They were staying sober. They were getting sober. And um, and I found it amusing that in these very sort of macho meetings, um, there was some real man love going on with some, a little bit of a man crush with Bill Wilson. People were quoting the book and people were uh, referring to page and verse and treating AA like Holy wrote, where I heard for the first time in my recovery, the steps are in an order for a reason. And uh, um, to take somebody through the book and, and that sort of thing. And, and this was just... I'd already worked the steps. I had, uh, uh, and I would work them again, of course. But, but this was foreign AA to me. Not unfamiliar. It was all very um, easy to recognize. But, but I had to adapt to it. And so, a lot of the, um, you know, non-theists, people who don't believe in a prayer answering, sobriety granting type of God that I come across have a problem with the big book which I don't have because it wasn't it wasn't get God or die for me it wasn't <laughs> I had to uh, speak of my AA through the words and ideas of Bill Wilson that was never the case it was always sort of group uh, you know go to the group go to my running mates go to my sponsor right you know talk it out um, people understood in Montreal that like they, I hope they do in your home group that I didn't need to be told. I need to feel, feel like I was heard and I, I was heard in my group. And, and, uh, you know, I often would eventually say what I needed to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, but, but I, I had to adapt to that and I found it a little bit restrictive and I, I wondered if I belonged in AA anymore for a while because it seemed so like I didn't even do the steps in order. Uh, I, I didn't actually get sober until I was taking my cousin to meetings. I was doing <laughs> step 12 and uh, my plan, my, loosely, I was a run by the seat of the pants kind of guy, but loosely I was going to get her sober. She would carry the message to countless others. I would sneak out the, the back and die my tragic alcoholic death. And, um, you know, this seemed more romantic than living sober. Uh, so, um, you know, when people say, you know, you can't work with newcomers because you haven't been through the steps, I go, yeah. really? <laughs> really? I, I better stay quiet. I, you know, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. And, and uh, I, I was on the verge of feeling like a stranger in my hometown, yeah, my hometown being AA. So, um, uh, I, I get why that works and how it works. And I also get why it doesn't work for everybody because I've been on uh, other sides of it. And uh, I, I see AA not like McDonald's, not like the same, you walk into every McDonald's, it's the same atmosphere, the same menu, the same price structure. You know what your experience is going to be. AA meetings aren't like that. It's a mom pa shop. The menu will be different, right? You're going to get fed, right? You know, you know what you're getting when you go in. You'll come out full, but it's going to be different. And and AA is really that. It's not 
McDonald's. And um, so like I've had uh, my fights with uh, the sort of traditional side of AA, but, but not because of my experience. I was never shunned because I didn't believe as others believed. N nobody even asked me what I believe. They asked me, as, as you often say, well, it's not about what you believe, Joe. What are you going to do? right? You know, it's a program of action, right? So, so like our stories are identical. Our beliefs are completely different. And uh, I, yeah, higher purpose has been really a guiding force. Like I got sober from a higher purpose. I saw in my cousin, uh, life worth saving. When AA was offered to me, I did not see in me a life worth saving. I said, thanks, but no thanks i'll leave that seat for somebody else and uh but uh, i was transformed by this higher purpose uh, was that inspired by god N not to my awareness but um <laughs> I i'd be happy to be wrong about that but, um, yeah. but I, I loved what you had to say and um uh, maybe i will let people go on a little bit of a potty break and, and what you back. what you mentioned about your experience with um going into a second version of the meeting environment and culture with the book and the steps and the quote and the reverence for bill and the book and and that that's when aa becomes a religion because they've captured the tool thinking that it's the tabernacle and it's not, it's just the tool that leads us to the light. It's and the finger. That's uh, it. To, to use your quote. Uh, exactly, from the exactly. And worshiping the finger. Exactly, exactly. And so, all right, just wanted to make that point wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And um, all right, so let's take a uh, five minute break by my. Uh, I've only got one screen, so someone can tell me if this is working. Yeah, it's working on mine. Yes, wonderful. Okay, great. Um, and um, so uh, I really, I was telling Herb, I had a presentation for this, but I scrapped it and uh, something I'd done before and, and, and started all over because it was more a, uh, arguing a case and it was less experiential and this is going to be we agnostics not me agnostics now i'm gonna just draw on a lot of the larger recovery communities especially the agnostics atheist free thinkers community experience with step two and step three um because i wouldn't want anyone to think well you're pretty exceptional joe there you are sober in your fifth decade, I'm not uh, over 40 years sober, so in my fifth decade, um, uh, uh, without a you know belief in a prayer answering sobriety granting God, but I'm not exceptional. Um, uh, there there may be closet atheists and agnostics in your own home group, so so we're, we're going to hear from a, a lot of them. You see, it's about unity. That's what tradition one tells us, but unity isn't uniformity. Um, so we're, we're all in this together, but it requires a little bit of tolerance and making room for others and uh, 
and humility because maybe we don't know it all. Uh, I, you know, try in my recovery uh, to do more of uh, not fight the darkness, but shine the light, just sort of um, offer my point of view and uh, wherever it's helpful, share it with others, um, but not to uh, throw stones at a, another approach that, uh, that doesn't seem to work for me, but works great for others. Uh, labels. People love labels. And here are some of the terms people will identify themselves as humanist, free thinker, secularist, atheist, agnostics, anti-theists. People are going to come into the rooms and they're going to be like the Jim Burwell, that thinking AA would be better without all this God nonsense or, uh, or religion has been more harmful than good. The, and how do we meet them where they're at? How do we uh, tell them to take what they like and leave the rest? And um, uh, as opposed to telling them how wrong they are. Uh, do you know what an apatheist is? Very popular with the Generation Z crowd. Now, we talk about millennials like they're young kids. You know, millennials are 42 years old now. You know, the youngest are 27. And when I came in, I was younger than that. So they're the Generation Z. And a lot of them are apatheists. And what does that mean? Don't know. Don't care. When it comes to the question of is there a God or isn't there a God? It's just not interesting to them. Can we please talk about something else? Uh, that's apatheists. And then somethingists. No, I don't agree with that God, and I don't agree with the religion's God, and I don't agree with Bill's God, um, uh, but there's something, there, there's more than just the material experience in the world, I'm sure, I just haven't figured it out yet, I'm very close, I'm, it, there's something, I'm going to get to it, so um, there's plenty of something, it's, and none of the people who use these titles to self-identify with and necessarily agree with somebody else. Um, some people call themselves spiritual atheists, and other people say that uh, atheism is anti-spiritual. Uh, Leave it for them to decide. Um, in Seattle, just north of where most of you are, I saw someone from Saskatchewan represent, um, uh, in 1990 was the first time the World Convention ever had um, a We Agnostics panel. And that's, again, atheists and agnostics telling their story. And uh, Charlie P. was there from the Los Angeles We Agnostics group. And he was uh, quoted in that tape. If you, if you were there and you got the tapes for the whole series, have a listen. He said, I came to AA, a garden variety atheist. 19 years later, much to my surprise, I'd become a much better atheist than when I got here. And I found that there wasn't a single step I couldn't work as an atheist. Now, since uh, then, there's been a We Agnostics panel in uh, Minneapolis and uh, uh, San Antonio and Montreal, uh, not Montreal, but we were in Toronto and uh, Atlanta. We were going to, they were asking the International Conference of Secular AA to put together a panel for um, 
Detroit. And of course, as we all know, Detroit didn't happen, which was sad for me because it's just a four hour drive. And uh, the International Conference of Secular A, it's like uh, uh, ICIPA, the International Conference of Young People, uh, International Doctors in AA, International Lawyers in AA, all of those sort of special purpose AA gatherings. Uh, secular AA is one of them. And the first one ever uh, was uh, in uh, Santa Monica. I'll talk a little bit about that. So um, explaining the ineffable, what are what is the language that's going to be used for people who don't use a God as a marker uh, for uh, this transformation experience? And here we see uh, a uh, PhD candidate and uh, their mentor is talking to them about their great mathematical formula. You see lots of complicated math on the left and uh, a complicated math answer at the right. And in the middle, he says, uh, I think you should be more explicit here in step two, where he writes, then a miracle happens. <laughs> uh, this was the conference I was at, the Recovery Capital Conference. Um, this is uh, Dr. David Best, who's an academic. Uh, also, I've recently learned uh, the uh, son of an alcoholic who never found recovery, but he's been studying we alcoholics and our recovery journeys for 30 years. Um, right beside him is uh, Dr. John Kelly, uh, head of the psychiatry department at uh, Harvard, and he was the head um, uh, academic on the uh, Cochrane database study, which was a longitudinal study of comparing AA to cognitive behavioral therapy and um, you know, motivational enhancement therapy, just to find out what works best. And they found that AA was uh, as successful or more successful than any of those. And uh, we could have told them this and a whole lot cheaper and no waiting list. So uh, currently the academics and the medical world are very high on AA, but they don't look at just AA, they'll look at she recovers <laughs> and people who do it on their own and refuge recovery and smart recovery. And they come up with this, their own way of explaining it called CHIME in successful recovery. And CHIME stands for connection, hope, identity, meaning, and empowerment. And uh, they borrowed this, but I found this in David Best's book, which is called uh, Pathways to Recovery and Desistance, The Social Contagion of Hope, which is just all about uh, the studies. And, and a lot of the math on on you know how many people in their first year are going to have a relapse how many people from one year to five years are going to have a relapse and and from five years on uh, what the percentage of relapse would be it's uh, um we anecdotally know this from our experience but it's really interesting to see uh, the math and um th this connection thing uh you know there was that great uh ted talk uh where uh um, the author of uh, uh, Scream ends his talk with saying, uh, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. And everyone, ah, you know, and I go, that seems reductionist. That seems kind of simplistic because 
I can find connection by going back to the crack house, by going <laughs> to my local bar. I'm going to find connection there. But uh, what these academics are talking about is the connection of what we call living in the solution or what they would call demonstrating pro-social behavior. So seeing other people like us coping with life without alcohol, using sobriety as a tool instead of drunkenness. And hope is contagious. Uh, you know, um, I got, uh, I went down my path with a lot of influences and I came back out with a lot of influences. I didn't have hope for myself when I got here, but you seem to have hope for me, Joe. If we can do it, you can do it. And I go, I don't know. I, I'm not as convinced, but I'll see you tomorrow. And here, I'm still here. And identity, going from that identity of, oh, what a loser. I can't drink anymore. No one's going to think I'm cool to, hey, I'm sober in AA. And, and that meaning something that I'm a proud member of Alcoholics Anonymous and the larger recovery community. And uh, meaning, I, I talked about having a higher purpose. Um, you know, uh, the majority of people get sober, get what they need, get back to their world. And uh, a lot of their productivity is outside of the rooms. And, and the uh, uh, people who might have been um, bar flies, uh, the, the regulars in AA, uh, a lot of that meaning can be found right here in the meetings and empowerment. You know, power was our dilemma. Uh, and we can get through life. Uh, the music business is full of alcohol. It's not an issue for me. It's full of drugs, not an issue for me. The financial services industry, uh, they're big drinkers too, not a problem for me. I, I've been empowered uh, from uh, my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, this is from the grapevine. If you're not familiar with it, um, it's... Uh, it's my red tag special today. Highly recommended. Atheists and agnostic AA members share their experience, strength, and here's David Best's word again, hope. Uh, something we've known for a long time. And this is a collection of all of the AA grapevine articles from atheists and agnostics through the years. It wouldn't have been complete without Jim B., the notorious Ed the Atheist, uh, according to Bill Wilson. Uh, and this was not from his vicious cycle story, which was uh, in the big book uh, from uh, a few months of sobriety. This is 30 years sober in 1968. And he's telling uh, to new atheists and agnostics his four points. Uh, the first power greater than himself was uh, alcohol. The AA fellowship became his higher power for his first two years. He didn't stay there. It's a, a growing, uh, graduating thing. It eventually became the idea that good and God were synonymous. He found the goodness within himself and within others. Uh, you called it God. He called it good. Aren't we talking about the same thing? And uh, he found that from meditation, uh, it helped him become his uh, better self. He found the guidance and answers he was looking for, and he became comfortable and steady. And so uh, uh, that whole idea of the group as a higher power, 
uh, Jim Burwell introduced us to that first God acronym, the group of drunks is a higher power. Um, One Dark Night, 2013. Maybe I'm wrong about God. The thing is, I don't have to be right. If there's no God, the program works anyway. If there is, he, she, it, they, uh, must not be prejudiced against atheists. Uh, what I believe doesn't matter. What I do is what matters. Again, uh, touching on um, a herbism. Um, how an atheist works a step from 2003. Um, so I remind myself regularly to trust the inner resource of the well person inside and the outer resources of the group, the track record of others and my own history show me that I can get through whatever comes and I'm patient and do what makes sense on a daily basis. This fills the intent of step two for me and provides the uh, benefits of step three. Uh, so inner resource, uh, Bill Wilson talked about that in uh, uh, appendix two. You know, when I first sort of discovered the big book and I read appendix two, and then I learned that it was actually added to the book in 1941, I said, who wrote it? I, I couldn't believe it was the same guy who wrote everything else. It was just a different attitude. Uh, it didn't seem to have any of that righteousness of the recently converted. It seemed to be uh, so uh, gentle and yes and 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 uh, and I they said oh no Bill Wilson wrote that but but of course he did that with the experience of thousands of AAs instead of just the experience of dozens of AAs and and he was evolving as well and this idea that my own inner resource and outer resources. One of the great things I borrowed from someone else who was struggling with the high, higher power thing was someone told them, hey, you're looking for a higher power, not the highest power. To get sober, you don't need to answer the questions of the universe. You just need to find resources beyond your own efforts to find sobriety. That's why it wasn't working for you before. You were trying to rely on your own resources. Find something else that works. And I, I like that. Higher power isn't highest power. Uh, this saddens me greatly. And I really want to emphasize this because, uh, um, uh, well, let's see if I can read it without crying. Because a lot of Atheists and agnostics are in the closet. Uh, you know, being an atheist and agnostic in some neighborhoods and some parts of Alcoholics Anonymous today is like being LGBTQIA in the 50s. Um, you weren't going to survive if you told people who you really are. Uh, and in this article written in 2015, I've been coming to this particular meeting for 10 years. In November, I celebrated 27 years of continuous sobriety and the speaker knows this, but I won't be called on tonight. In fact, I'm rarely called on 
at all in Alcoholics Anonymous these days. You see, I'm an atheist. I'm not resentful at my standing in AA, at least not often. And because I strive to stay a part of AA, most of the time I feel a kinship in the rooms. But there are nights that I wonder. There are nights that I feel separate. That's not connection, feeling separate. And, um, and, and this person who wrote us this passage, who shared this experience, I consider them the exception. How many others would have just left instead of stuck it out? And so the question is, uh, what can we all do to make the room uh, a more friendly and a more welcoming place to any underrepresented populations? Uh, Ward Ewing isn't an alcoholic. He was the chair of our general service conference, Reverend Ward Ewing, uh, controversially was a speaker at the first international gathering of we agnostics and free thinkers in Santa Monica in uh, 2014. And there were people in mainstream AA that said, Ward, you can't go there. That's not real AA. And people inside our community of atheist agnostics said, why do we need some preacher's blessing? You know, can't one of us be the keynote speaker? So there was controversy on all ends. Some of our members thought we were trying to suck up to AA and uh, others outside thought he shouldn't lend the AA name to our, um, our event. But I'll tell you something about Ward Ewing. He didn't come there to preach. He came there to learn. He took more notes than I took that weekend. He took more notes than anybody took. Uh, he was there to learn and, and learn he did. He talked to a lot of people and he was quite surprised that the sort of liberal idea of always inclusive, never exclusive um, writings and motif and our creed isn't the actual experience in day-to-day -day experiences everywhere in AA. And he writes this, what we believe about sometimes is far less important to living than what we experience. Experience is what transforms us. Belief, this speaks to what Herb was saying, belief is our attempt to explain. Experience trumps explanation. Yeah. You might use a different verb today. But anyway, I won't go there. I'm a Canadian. Uh, I believe the dialogue between those who are religious and those who are free thinkers, agnostics, and atheists, and AA can bear much fruit. Also, a speaker at the first ever gathering of international agnostics and atheists, Maria H. She wrote a wonderful book I would recommend to anybody who loves uh, poetry and uh, a uh, dialogue about recovery. Um, it's called Waiting a Non-Believer's Higher Power. The origin of the word spirit is Greek. It means breath, that which stirs within, slows or quickens, goes deep or dies out. When I speak of spirit, I'm not speaking of something related to or given by a force outside ourselves. 
I am speaking of the force that is ourselves, the experience of living in the world bound by a body, space, and time woven into the fabric of human history, human connection, and human life. This is the force that feels and thinks and gives us consciousness. It is the deepest, most elemental, most integral part of who we are. It is who we are. And that's just the preface. Whoa. <laughs> Waiting. A non-believer's higher power. Um, the God word. Um, it, you can ask me if you want to hear about it. I'm not here to give a history lesson, although I've done a lot of um, primary uh, research in AA archives about the history of agnostics and the atheists and, and attempts to get a pamphlet of agnostics and atheists telling our story in our own words. But in the UK, someone said, hey, we need one of these. They said, okay, send us some stories and boom, they put it together and we've adopted it here in uh, USA and Canada. And it's available now in French and Spanish. Hopefully more languages coming soon. Uh, Sheila's story is in there. And uh, so she used AA as her higher power. Step two and three simply became a belief that maybe this program would work for me. And then a willingness to follow suggestions and really give it a try. Uh, this worked for me. Uh, there's a story in there called Living Sober as an Atheist. Um, I haven't had a drink for 25 years and I'm now no longer waiting for my religious conversion. I'm sure someone told this individual to fake it until they make it. 25 years. Uh, they're not going to make it and they're not going to fake it. <laughs> I'm still an agnostic. I don't know whether or not there is a supernatural power, but I don't believe there is. Uh, what else? We got an atheist in recovery. I kept coming to meetings. I made friends in AA. Life started getting better. I noticed the change in my luck and circumstances. Uh, you know, the friends of the newcomer will uh, notice long before they do this transformation as explained in appendix two. So this person told their sponsor that it felt li like they had a guardian angel and she, the sponsor asked if that might be your higher power or God. Well, I said, I preferred to think it was uh, the power of the rooms and the support of the people in them. That's a humanist approach as opposed to a theistic approach. All I know is that I could not have gotten sober on my own. I have a good life now. I work the steps. I do service. I help newcomers. I share my experience, strength, and hope. In my own experience, I do not have to find God to stay sober. I owe my life to AA and the people in it. Um, living sober, you know, I, uh, you know, I can, I can get the hair coming up on the back of, uh, other people's necks when I naively say, you know, the big book was good. It was like three years of our best experience with, uh, uh, you know, uh, a few dozen AA members, uh, but, 
this living sober, this is like 40 years experience with half a million AAs experience. Why don't we read this instead? <laughs> and uh, I say it innocently. It was written by um, Barry Leach. And if if Bill Wilson was our Messiah, this would have been his uh, apostle uh, because he worked hand in hand with Bill Wilson. Barry L. was the person who uh, was at the AA clubhouse when the person walked in and said, would AA accept me? And um, he had to call Bill and Bill asked, uh, did this uh, African-American cross-dressing heroin addict who just got out of prison, did they say they were an alcoholic? Yes, we can all see they're an alcoholic. Well, then what more should we ask? That was Barry. And uh, he was the author of Living Sober. Living Sober sold 7 million copies. If it wasn't in the shadow of the 45 million selling big book, we'd be pretty proud of that. And Living Clean is N.A.'s version written in 2015. And I'm not saying Living Sober is better and let's burn big books. <laughs> I'm just saying for a lot of people in secular recovery, uh, it is their AA program, a little different than uh, uh, sort of the 12-step model. But, but in practicality, it's all about the 12 steps. And in NA, it says our right to our own spirituality is unconditional. Uh, the lawyers would call it an inalienable right uh, and uh, can't be taken away. And uh, that also means we must also uh, allow that right to others. Any single definition of spiritual principles would be too restrictive for us. Um, and in Living Sober, the point is there's no prescribed right way or wrong way. Each of us uses what is best for ourselves without closing the door to other kinds of help we may find valuable at another time. And each of us tries to respect others' rights to do things uh, differently. Um, so there's a whole bunch of AAs instead of just me. And just ask if you want to hear more about my own personal story. And if you want to explore and discover, and if you want more information, come to uh, agnostic atheist meetings. In fact, do what you tell your sponsees. Uh, online, you can go, used to be 90 meetings in 90 days. People are doing 90 meetings in nine days, right? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> they're all just a click away. But uh, this link will take you to a list of uh, uh, a variety of atheist, agnostic, free thinkers, humanist meetings. Um, uh, and uh, there's probably 16 hours a day of meetings all around the world. Uh, there's information about the International Conference of Secular AA, our uh, first one was Santa Monica. We went to Austin in 2018, Toronto in uh, rather 2016. 2018 was uh, Toronto. In 2020, we were supposed to be in Washington, D.C. It's been twice postponed. We hope to be there the last weekend in October, uh, COVID uh, permitting. And check your local directory. Um, a lot of directories now 
um, when you're searching for a meeting, there's a filter. You can find just a big book meeting, just an open meeting, just a women's meeting. You can find one that might say secular and it'll, and how about that? There's a look at that. There's a, a heathens meeting uh, in my uh, same clubhouse that I go to my home group in uh, and you can uh, check it out. We always say at Beyond Belief Agnostics and Free Thinkers group that we are secular by format. Everybody is welcome here and everybody is to share is free to share their own personal experience and their own beliefs without fear of uh, dissuasion, persuasion, or criticism. We just try to create the sort of environment we would like in, a, in any meeting anywhere. And uh, if you search Secular AA on Spotify or Apple, you'll find uh, the uh, podcast, which is just some of the international Secular AA panels and speaker meetings we do a monthly international speaker meeting you can come to them uh, on zoom in person it's the first um, the first sunday of every month uh, um, and uh, you can or just listen to them on any device anytime anywhere you want and any questions you have of me or um, fact checking by all means let's keep this conversation going I'll give you the slide deck to this. I'll put it in the chat and you can help yourself to it. But uh, I would uh, love to hear anything you have to add or say if we don't get it covered uh, today. Uh, um, people are always surprised that I answer my own phone. Not all the time, not right away, uh, but uh, always happy to hear from people. And uh, with that, I will stop sharing and uh say thanks for my attention herb <laughs> well thank you really so much for sharing this broad panoramic view of alternative approaches and alternative thinkings and some resources to support that because i think that's really important um you made a couple comments that i i want to just either highlight or or, or supplement <clears throat> And, and Bill in the big book is very clear. We want to be inclusive, never exclusive. And you made that point. I mean, I think Bill really had this vision of, it was literally a mystical insight. And, and he confirms that my, by my interpretation in the preface to the very first edition in 1939, he says, We believe our way of living may have its advantages for all. Our way of living. And you mentioned the principles. See, I, I, I never knew that there were principles. With all the background, all the education, all the self-development, and four years sober, I never really had consciously thought about principles. And, and now, in the last 10 years, Dr. Berger and I have been doing workshops on emotional sobriety, that's the heart of it, is to identify principles, operating principles. Doing the steps made me aware that either I had principles that I wasn't using, or that I didn't have some principles that would really help me be a decent human being and operate the way I wanted to operate. 
the key was to have principles that guided me. I call them guidelines and guardrails. They're, they're the things, I don't care what you call it, uh, grace or God or mystery or your higher self or your consciousness. I'm, I'm a big fan today of the word, as I say, it changes regularly, of consciousness. I want to be conscious of the principles and I'm very practical. That's why I'm, I'm enjoying knowing you and our time together is just like what works, just what works. Uh, I first learned that with, I sat down with an Orthodox Jew who was a, a PhD from uh, MIT. I mean, brilliant, brilliant Orthodox Jew, uh, very involved with his own religious practices. And I, for whatever reason, I wanted to get to know him. So I sat down at lunch and I said, I'm so looking forward to this so that we can share our comparative approaches to religion and spirituality. He says, I'm not one bit interested in that conversation. I want us to talk about our ethics. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How are you going to behave and what guides your behavior? That's the only thing that interests me. I thought, oh my God, it was like wonderful. So that's what we're talking about here. Being very practical about behavior. Go ahead, uh, Joe. You know, um, in terms of finding the right words, if you can separate yourself from the idea of it being like a, a rigid language, uh, I invite anybody I'm working with to write each step in their own words. Yeah. If, if there's a word that interferes with someone getting the uh, life-transforming effect of the 12 steps, change the word. And I guarantee you the word won't mind. <laughs> Right. And that word might be God. It might be uh, moral. It might be powerless. It might be insane. Whatever the word is, let's find a better word. Yeah. What do you got? Yeah. Well, and in fact, Dr. Silkworth, as I recall in the doctor's opinion, used that goodness yeah. uh, word, uh, the power of good. Um, and that really related, as you described it, to that concept that one of my teachers, Father Thomas Keating, talked about that core of goodness that I showed in that slide with the Russian dolls. Yeah. The, the nesting dolls is what they're called. But yeah. that core of goodness, that's, that's that breath of yeah, life. That, uh, that Mario Hornbacker was talking exactly. about. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, we could probably dominate this conversation and that would defeat some of the purpose of it which is the now to dialogue so just to let you know you're welcome to make a comment to share a insight to share your experience to challenge to disagree please absolutely i mean do it respectfully um i'm pretty sensitive i know joe might not be but i'm pretty sensitive but what um, do you mean by that yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> We're good. We're good. Um, and so I've, I've been going to her workshop for uh, a few months now. And 
What I heard um, was really invaluable to me from both of you, but when but I haven't seen you, uh, Joe, but um, when, you know, I grew up Catholic, Catholic school, uh, and, uh, you know, I, you know, if I ever said I didn't believe in God, it was, I got it pounced on, just wherever. So there is no way out. So I've always had this belief, but this, but there's always been this doubt, this doubt about, uh, about God. And when you said, Joe, that, uh, and I think Herb, you both kind of said it together in different ways, it's what works. <laughs> it's what, it's, it's if you have an experience and I was never given permission <clears throat> until maybe today, I don't know, but uh, to explore my, the part that doubts, the part that uh, takes a look at that because I feel compressed into believing in a certain way. And even like you're talking about in AA, there's a certain amount of peer pressure to, you know, believe in God. And um, so I guess I'm trying to th think of a question. At, one more comment is that, um, is that I, one thing that really struck me is that Mother Teresa, they found some of her letters and when she was very depressed and very um, discouraged, uh, saying there is no God and saying all this stuff, which really made me feel this connection with her. It's like, and I have studied Buddhism where um, for a while where, where faith and doubt are, you know, the, the same different sides of the same coin. So I guess the only question I have, uh, and I guess this would be directed towards Joe, um, is that how do you, um, uh, I have a difficulty with, with not people being an atheist, but I can't relate to atheists at all, possibly because of my upbringing but I go in and out. I can get from having a higher power to that doubt where I become agnostic, I believe. It's certainly from doing Herd's experiment, my, um, my feet tell me that I'm an agnostic a lot because I am reliant on my own. But uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you see the... Um, difference between agnostic and atheist or and and do you do you ever lean towards you know something closer to connection with I don't know if you want to use the word God but <laughs> if you could kind of elaborate on that yeah I'd be happy to um there are spectrums. 
where someone can call themselves an atheist, a seven out of 10 atheist. I, I don't act as if there is a God, but I'm only 70% sure I'm right. Right. You know, I could be wrong. Right. You know, right. and uh, uh, you know, some atheists are against anything uh, woo woo. Right. You know, right. don't tell me about, you know, uh, you know, the consciousness or, or this conscious connectedness or blah, blah, blah. They, they just, what, what can we see? What can we measure? Let's stick with that. And you can stay sober doing that, connecting yeah. the dots, you know, knock yourself out. Um, the more you can sort of embrace and take in, the more you'll enjoy your AA process. Um, so, so if you want to understand atheists better, uh, get yourself a copy of uh, uh, One Big Tent uh, by uh, the uh, AA Grapevine. And there's some great stories in there and you'll relate to some more than others, but you'll at least be able to hear it in a non-confrontational way. Um, you know, we all know what the um, belligerent atheist is like and what the belligerent believer is, get God or die. But do you know what the belligerent agnostic is? People have never heard of that. The belligerent agnostic is, I don't know, and you don't either. <laughs> now, most agnostics aren't belligerent. They think it, but they don't say it. <laughs> well, I, and I, I do uh, move from uh, uh, along a spectrum. Uh, I, I don't like the word atheist so much because... It's, it's describing what I don't believe. I believe a lot of things. Uh, I, you know, and I do believe there is an unknown and an immaterial and that my world is controlled by things I do not understand. Yeah. Some people understand them. Some of these things will be understood by man, some <clears throat> mankind, some of them never will. Yeah, but uh, it's just think of it as a spectrum as opposed to uh, um, a clearly defined set of, you know, atheists think this or like yeah. the idea that the atheist has proof of the non-existence of God just is not a very developed uh, idea about atheism. Right. It's it's really a lack of understanding as to what theology is and what agnosticism and atheism yeah. is when somebody would talk that way. Uh, you know, Bill in the 12 and 12, written, I think, in 1953, acknowledged in step two that if you have a problem with the term God or higher power, use the group as a power other than yourself that has developed solutions to the problem of addiction and unhappiness. I thought, well, you know, that's brilliant. Of course, that's exactly what you were talking about. Dr. Berger himself says, let the best in you manage the worst in you. Hello? And then I, I think both of us could really agree and already have talked about being very practical. What works? What works is a formula that a young man who was in his eighth inpatient treatment center, 24 years old, eight, 24 years old, eighth inpatient treatment center. And finally, and I won't go into the total story, but he, he finally connected to some traction. 
-hmm. And he said, I got tired of suffering. I quit resisting. I listened to direction and I took action. Doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't matter what the theory is behind it. If in fact you, you can do that. So. This is, this is amazing. Uh, thank you so much. It opens up so much. So. Well, and, and that's the point. Thank you. Because that's our purpose here today. Mm-hmm. Not to convert anybody to one yeah. way or another, but to open it up so that you become more fluid in your own journey. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Bob, I'm going to ask Joe, did you have any comments on mine or your comments or Bob's? Oh, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Bob. All right. And Bob, do you have any additional comments? No, just thank you. All right. No, thank you. Great. Good. And this is this anyway, um, without any comments, Rose, please. Uh, Hey, y'all. I am so grateful for this um, gathering, this invitation uh, to conversation. And um, I just want to... um, appreciate um, the highlighting that's gone on for me as far as um, what's important about the um, inclusivity versus being belligerent. You know, this, um, you know, um, uh, what originally had me raise my hand was that um, the very thing that was blocking me from an authentic relationship with power was my religious tradition. Yes. And honestly, I spent 40 years there. I mean, a long time and it never worked. It, I mean, it didn't take me to a working model of living um, that, you know, I had all that restless, irritable discontent. I was still suffering and I was doing a lot. So um, at one point in my life, I stopped going to church for one year and I just wanted to find out, well, what's real? You know, what is real? What is what is life all about? And that um, began a journey um, that took me to this opening to this dismantling of this tradition uh, that um, I just was like, I don't know, it really rocked my foundation. And it um, was really scary uh, at some points, because like, if this is what I believe in, this is not correct. Like, what's going to happen to me? Well, what's happened is I've gotten happy, joyous, and free um, just from the standpoint of the grace of being in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I don't know, that just helped me continue to dismantle things because, you know, we weren't praying in Jesus' name and there were lots of miracles and I'm going, what is going on here? So then that willingness to start opening, opening, and now the draw to come to a place where you can talk about life with non-religious language, I don't know. That's so appealing to me because um, I, I'm probably a somethingist. You know, there's something, <laughs> and um, and I experienced the something, but I don't have a definition. I can't prove it, but I do experience. So, I mean, the trap of trying to have a belief is like um, uh, belief isn't an attempt to explain. The problem is that it's not explainable what we're trying to explain. So um, I just want to, you know, express my gratitude to um, uh, Joe and Herb for this uh, 
uh, gathering today and the opening of conversation into this uh, much broader space. Uh, thanks, Rose, so much. And, and that's, as you've heard me say many times, the word that captures it for me is mystery, because I don't need to know, but I do need to put my feet into action in terms of my consciousness of principles and my attempting to help other people be conscious of principles. And it's in, for me, it's, just, it's that straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She's so perfectly articulated experience versus explanation. Right, right. Right? Like you experience the light, you explain the finger. <laughs> no, no, that's, I've, I've not heard it that way, but I, I will, I will hijack that phrase. Yeah, that is, and I probably won't recognize you in the, in the, <laughs> I, I'm good. I'm good. I, I know you are. I know you are. No, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, I saw a definition that I liked the other day that said, darkness is only the absence of light. I mean, that's really bring the light and it will dispel the darkness, whatever that means to each one of us. Carmen, please. Well, I wanna thank you both also very, very much. And it's occurred to me, this is another example of words do matter. Yes. Um, I, and I've been in Herb's uh, 12 by 12 workshops since January, and that has opened my world in terms of of God. I mean, I can say the word. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. progress for me. I can actually say the word. And I, when I say God, I think of all the other things that, that mean God to me. Um, I came into 12-step programs in 1983. And at that time, I'm, I'm a food addict. And at that time, I went to AA meetings and I just didn't get the God thing. And I did uh, fake it until you make it thing. And, and and I'm not sure I ever made it um, because what I'm realizing now is that I've had a very difficult time bringing the, the footwork of my addiction together with the footwork around God. And what I mean by that is that I think I have sort of, I have steps in my trust of God. And um, so I can, I can pray and meditate and the simple things I feel like I could talk to God about and I get somewhere with that. The, the more difficult things, the scarier things, and especially my food addiction, I have trouble. I don't turn the whole thing over. I turn parts of it over. It's like, okay, I can let go of sugar. That's easy. That's sort of like alcohol. I don't need sugar in my life, I, you know. Um, but the behavior of my addiction is what's so cunning, baffling, and powerful. And I'm hoping, Herb, you promise, <laughs> in a short while, I will understand better how all that works together. And um, being able to hear these different words helps me, helps me build more of a trust with, in my relationship with God. And or more trust in yourself also. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like I like the idea that this is a process and that I'm also a work in progress in doing all of this stuff. So hearing 
I think it's amazing how hearing different definitions and and hearing from different perspectives yes. really, really helps. So thank you both very, very much. Thanks. Thank, thanks so much, Carmen. Joe, any response? There is a book um, by an author whose pen name is Philip Z. He is, uh, it was written in 1991 called A Skeptic's Guide to the 12 Steps. He's an OA member, uh, clinical psychologist, uh, secular Jew, and um, it's it's a great sort of uh, sort of breakdown of his, really his own experience and sort of trying to fit in to, to you know how do you find authenticity and conformity right how do you fit in how do you belong without losing yourself right you know and. Uh, he he does a great job in his uh, story about that and there's plenty of people who uh, drugs 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 alcohol 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 but he's talking about it from a, a food addiction point of view oh okay and and the title and the name again a skeptic's guide to the 12 steps by philip z good great Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, both of you. All right. Mr. Roger from Toronto. Meet Joe from Toronto. <laughs> uh, thanks, everybody. I actually have met Joe before, actually, oh. when you were in Toronto yeah. doing, doing your workshop. And I don't know whether Joe will know it or not. I was actually at his house once, too. Okay. But I wanted, I wanted to thank both you, Herb, and Joe for doing this presentation today. And Joe, I particularly wanted to salute you for presenting your position and for having your position. Um, at my former home group in Toronto, we used to have a belligerent atheist and you may have met him. It was Ed, Ed W, he's passed away now, Ed Willis. And he was known in Toronto as No God Ed. Yeah. That was his vernacular name in the program. And I used to have, Ed never missed a meeting. He was always there on Wednesday nights and Monday nights for the discussion meeting. And lots of times I would thank Ed for, for his position and being a really vocalist, vocal atheist. And, make, and I used to say to him that, um, Ed, I believe that you are an instrument of my higher power presenting a position to make it easier for newcomers who have a problem with God to be in the program and not feel so bad about it. So we know actually from our literature that more than 50% of us initially have a problem with religion and with God. Right. So I think it's great that there, you know, our program doesn't require that we have that. We don't have to have a religion. We don't have to have a belief in God to succeed in recovering from addiction. Um, so thank you for helping to remove that barrier and for doing it in such a kind, gentle, and loving way. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we people who didn't have the same corresponding belief as you could state our position in a kind, loving, non-judgmental way. And that often isn't the case. Uh, we're belligerent believers. So I came into the program, uh, after 18 months at the Donwood, which is Toronto Recovery Center. And I have been 
all of those things are both described as a believer, a former believer, an atheist, an agnostic. And my position has changed considerably over time. Uh, but it wouldn't have been if there had been militant people telling me this is how you have to believe. Right. You know, so I think it's very important. I just want to stir the pot a little bit. Um, I don't, I, I actually really like the Lord's Prayer, but I don't believe it belongs in a 12-step meeting as an appropriate way to close a meeting, particularly now where we have uh, a real divergent population. And I'm thinking of, um, you know, First Nations, Muslims, Jews who find it offensive. I don't know whether either of you would like to comment on what I've said or whether you want to make a comment on the Lord's Prayer and meetings. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that in the spirit of the way you phrased it. And my preference is for the serenity prayer is sort of a positive affirmation about influence versus control and dealing with principles and reality. If people really understand the Lord's Prayer, I don't think they have any problem with it other than the gender references. Um, because it, it is a prayer that was in fact allegedly created by a Jew. So I don't think that it has any real, uh, I think, problem because it doesn't actually advocate any particular religious uh, uh, orthodoxy. But um, I don't disagree with you in terms of uh, the, the use of the prayer. I think uh, historically it was used because of the Christian roots. But at this point, I think given the current culture, it's probably better not to use it. Um, Joe? Um, in, in Toronto, uh, our uh, 911 calls are answered in 170 different languages. Yeah. If we haven't crossed that line yet, the sort of white Anglo-Saxon might no longer be 50% of the uh, population in Toronto. Right. Right. The food choices here are phenomenal, right? <laughs> like all the whole mm -hmm. world is here. But RAA looks like 1950. Oh, uh, yeah. And why is that? And I believe there are certain systemic discriminations. And these aren't intentional, hateful uh, problems, but there, there are things that are baked in that um, make it super comfortable for some people and a little bit prickly for other people. Right. And something like the Lord's Prayer is something that some people have to tolerate and some people embrace. So can we find something everyone can embrace, like the Responsibility Declaration, mm -hmm. uh, like the what, Serenity Prayer or a Serenity Statement? Uh, mm -hmm. Some secular groups say, we seek the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the nice. courage to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference, nice. evoking no uh, supernatural force. And, yeah. um, mm. uh, you know, those who believe will feel that going through them, right? And those who don't won't miss it. And, uh, um, but every group is completely autonomous. Yeah. So uh, that still has to be the ultimate thing. And uh, everything we can do in our own home group, where the where the the highest uh, court in AA is our own home group. Let's do what we can in our home groups to 
make our, our group and our rituals a more welcoming and embracing thing. And, uh, and hopefully that will make it more attractive, more popular, and it, it will catch on. Uh, but we can't litigate, um, uh, you know, uh, inclusivity. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm glad you brought it up, Roger, because yeah. uh, like I say, I'm behind you 100%. Um, I was telling Herb about um, the UK uh, membership survey of 2020. You know, we ask our members, uh, how did you find out about AA? Uh, at, uh, for a long time, we used to ask, do you have problems other than alcoholism, like other drugs? Uh, how many meetings a week did you go to? In the UK, they asked, do you have a higher power? And four out of five people said yes. And then they asked, if you have a higher power, is it a religious or a secular higher power? And in the UK, two thirds of respondents said a secular higher power. So we don't even know, uh, you know, like we think of like my approach as being fringe. We should ask in Canada, the U.S. just to find out, you know, find out who our membership is. And that will help us determine what rituals and future literature will, will best serve our current membership and future membership. That, uh, that's way beyond step two and step three. No, no, I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think both Roger's comments and yours are totally in the in the parameters of this conversation. Yeah. Absolutely, a hundred percent. It was no surprise when you mentioned that survey to me concerning Europe, because at least anecdotally, I'm aware that Europe has had a bigger shift in the relationship to religion than North America has, but it's all in the same direction. Um, and I think the key here is that most people don't really accurately understand the difference between religion and spirituality. That's why I started out my talk with that very concept. Religion is the finger pointing the way spirituality is the relationship with the light and human nature. And you mentioned it even in your, your talk, uh, Joe, uh, human nature is to codify and institutionalize uh, whatever they touch. And mm -hmm. AA is no different. Many groups have become a religion. They have the rules, they have the protocols, they have the culture of control. All right. It's just what it is. It's human nature. It's nobody's fault. But, <clears throat> but the big book is very, very clear. Uh, at the end of step 10, he says, love and tolerance is our code. Really? <laughs> love and tolerance is our code? Uh, and then just one other comment. The man who took me through the steps talked about prayer and talked about getting on his knees. And he's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and a very, very strong, grandiose, egocentric guy. He says he gets on his knees, not to get God's attention, but get to his own attention, an act of humility, an act of subordination. And I thought, oh, that captures the point of prayer, which is like just a, a positive kind of consciousness in relationship to yourself, because prayer doesn't change God. God can't change if there is whatever that reality is. It can't change. So prayer changes me. 
prayer changes my attitude. Prayer changes my consciousness. And that's where the change, at least this is my current thinking about it. Joe, any comments? Yeah, I don't know how many people go to uh, NA, uh, but in uh, the greater Toronto area, NA is far more racially diverse in terms of uh, visible minorities than AA. And, and I wonder why that is. I mean, we often at our regional conference have a big picture of Bob and Bill right up at the podium. And again, if you're walking into the room for the first time, I'm not ashamed of our white male um, origins. Origins, right. But, but maybe we should leave that for when you get interested in history and just talk about our principles and not yeah. an image yeah. of, of AA that projects yeah. to you belong here or wait, maybe I don't belong here. No one even knows what Jimmy K looked like. <laughs> in, uh, in NA, right? And uh, maybe uh, that was uh, has something to do with the fact that it's more more diverse. It it, it, um, it stays away from that sort of thing. Well, and it goes back to your comments about how can we be more effective? Yeah, yeah. And that's my constant challenge with regard to the work that I do. Mm -hmm. How can whatever I do say provide? How can it be more effective in terms of attraction of people to get some traction and to begin the journey, as Rose was explaining, how it has begun to open up her life like it did my life, like it did your life? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Roger, any comments on our comments? I just uh, actually, I, I forgot that I meant to also plug Joe's book. Mm -hmm. uh, until the registration for this, I didn't know that you had a book. So I purchased it and I've been doing the daily meditation readings yep. from it yep. for about a month. And I, I very much been enjoying it and I don't find any position in there, yes. something that, that I find offensive or with which I couldn't agree. Uh, Joe, uh, what's the title again, please? Uh, Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings for 12-Step Life. Yeah. Ernie Kurtz was a mentor of mine, yeah. uh, a great writer, spirituality of imperfection, uh, not God, a history of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, he, he kindly wrote in the foreword that, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, it, he, that he took issue with the title because it says agnostic musings, but he, uh, a clear, uh, unabashed believer, finds much useful <laughs> in the wordings. It isn't this exclusively written thing. Um, the editing process uh, was this, because I really did want to not unintentionally, you know, sort of give primacy to a certain worldview so i had one editor who was a die-in-the-wool atheist who just what, what do you mean spiritual i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> uh so it had to go across her desk and the other editor was a sunday school teacher uh who familiar with aa and it had to pass through her desk and if it couldn't get past both of them with uh, edits and fixes it got scrapped it had to 
meet those those tests to find its way into the book. You know, any society to grow needs agitators and ambassadors. Yeah. <laughs> it's way more fun being an agitator. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, Joe. Well, and, and maybe that's our yin and yang because I'm the ambassador. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Thanks so much. Uh, Carlene, you did have your hand up for a long time. Are you still interested? I am, but um, whoops. I am babysitting and he's been great in staying asleep, but his parents have just texted me and said, you better get him up because he's been asleep for too long. Mm -hmm. So I'll just pose the question and then I'll go, um, I'll go be grandma. Mm -hmm. um, the place that I have a heart, first off, the, the, when I came into FA, Food Addicts um, for Food Addiction, I remember, going to a meeting and the one of the women that started the um, FA patted me on the hand. I can't remember what I had said, but, and she said, Carlene, it's going to be so much easier when you believe in God. And um, I think she was probably right uh, that this had been a lot easier if I could have hooked line and sinkered it. But um the problem that I, I also struggle with, I find that I'm more like the MIT professor or the Gen X people. I really, I, I, you can't, I can't know about this. So I don't wanna, I really don't wanna spend a whole lot of time right. and concern on it. I know I'm powerless. I don't know where, it doesn't matter to me. So how do you, when you go through step two, a uh, step three, and you're saying a relationship and you say, uh, Herb, you'll say, you know, whatever you need and whatever, you know, I, I, I balk at that. I, I can't have a relationship with something yeah. I don't know. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to spend time on it. Yeah. The only thing I hope is that when I die, I'm conscious enough that something will go, Oh, <laughs> this is what it is. But That's you know, um, but I'm not hoping for that either. But it's that relationship that gets insisted on that I go, you know, I don't, it doesn't help to call it it, or it doesn't help to call, you know, I just, I don't want that. Yeah. And um, so how do I navigate step three? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, relationship. And I'm gonna. I'm gonna go stop my video so I can. But I'm listening. All right. Yes, yeah. you have chores to do, Grandma. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, relationship with reality. Relationship Perfect. with life. Relationship with the energy of the universe. At the very least, relationship with help. I need help. Help's available. I don't know what that means. But I'm going to trust that helps available and I'm going to move into the next course of action. And that would be my response to it. Joe, you were pitching oh, like a resource I, at the gate. Yes, before please. I totally go, I, I just wanted to say thank you, Herb, for one of the things that you said in your thing. And it was the first time I ever heard, heard it. And it felt like, 
okay, someone is starting to set a place at the table for me, mm-hmm. was that you didn't believe in a interventionist God. Right. Right. Um, you believed in the support of God, but you didn't yeah. believe in an interventionist God. Yeah. Because if I hear another thing of, it was a God thing. Right. It's a God thing that TJ is sleeping for. Oh, yeah. Or that you found a parking spot. Or that, you know, and it's just um, so, then I get a bullet, then I get to be belligerent, I think, um, at least mentally. But thank you for that. So I'd like to hear more about the relationship. Thank you. All right. Wonderful. Joe? There can be a sort of tyranny of the majority uh, (laughs) in an assumption that the majority of people believe in this interventionist type of higher power or will soon. <laughs> yes, yes, when they wake up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and that's interesting, right? Because, uh, you know, uh, the Buddha was asked, uh, what are you? Are you a healer? No. Are you a teacher? No. Are you uh, um, a messiah? No. Well, then what are you? Awake. Mm-hmm. Right? And, 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 you know, like for me, a supernatural belief is dreaming. That is like, for me, it would be magical thinking. Like, uh, like it is a good proposition. There's a power that loves me that has a plan for me and I'll figure it out. And uh, there's a place for me for everlasting eternity. Right. Love that idea. (laughs) But I, I can't, uh, I can't move into that house, right? I, I, I need to keep my feet on the ground and, yep. and, and, and live in sobriety. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, somewhere, I, I hope everyone can find a sponsor that can hear them, as opposed to talk past them, right? Or try to teach them. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Thanks, Joe, very much. Wonderful. This is uh, Francine, please. Hi. Hello, hearing you wonderfully. Okay, well, you, um, both of you have enlightened me and freed me. Mm. Um, the con- childhood conditioning of my religious belief, Catholicism, yes. has gotten in the way of my recovery. And um, I think, Joe, you said the, um, the higher power does not have to be the highest I love that. That has given me permission to set aside my continual search and understanding of the highest power. And now I'm freed up to find my higher power in my recovery program. So um, I do have a question on Chime. Joe, this is for you. Um, Can you say a little bit more about the M, E, and the E empowerment? Uh, Okay, yes. So again, chime is connection, hope, identity, meaning, and empowerment. And um, meaning, just the first time we make coffee for the meeting or co-host the Zoom room, for those of you who have never been to an AA meeting in a physical space, (laughs) um, you know, that, that gives us meaning. And that creates recovery capital that strengthens our uh, sort of, uh, you know, our sense of ourselves as a, as a sober person. 
uh, and then meaning comes in more profound ways. You know, we, uh, you know, make our inventory, we wrestle with uh, restoring the problems of our past and, and make restitution where we can. And, uh, you know, our relationships have more meaning. Uh, you know, we're, you know, when alcohol or whatever our drug of choice is, is controlling us, you know, all of our um, uh, relationships are provisional, but in recovery, they become meaningful again, right? The, the, the full breadth of them, of a sunny day, of a, uh, of a, of a grandchild that needs us, all of that sort of thing. And empowerment is uh, we can do what I could not do alone. It can be that simple, right? You know, uh, that higher power can be one more person. Me plus one more person is higher than me, right? And that's a little mathematical higher power thing, the X factor, right? And so, and, and but empowerment can be so much more. You know, uh, have you ever had a time when uh, someone uh, needs to talk to you and you say something to them and you, and afterwards you go, where did that come from? Right. <laughs> I know what I know. I have to also know that there are things I don't know. There are things I don't know I don't know. Very dangerous. <laughs> and there are things I don't know I do know. Yes. And when we tap into those, right, you know, our intuitive capacity, that's very empowering. And, and that comes with the fog lifting and the connection and recovery. Well, I, th I think that's a nice word phrase to come to steps two and three with is the X factor. Yeah. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the mystery. Mm -hmm. We don't really need to understand it. We don't even need to have a word for whatever it is, but we see it in the rooms, like you're saying. Uh, other people have happiness. Other people have sobriety. Other people know how they have to how they fit into the world that they live in. Um, to answer your question, Francine, it's a wonderful question concerning meaning. And um, when I did my study about three or four years ago on happiness, the conclusion of all the studies I looked at, and that was very substantial because there's been a lot of work by professionals in the area of what makes us happy. There's just two things. Anybody who wants to be happy, this is the premise, the assumption, anybody who wants to be happy will never be happy. Well, because happiness is not a product, it's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of context or meaning. How do we fit in the world? How do we fit in the world? What is the meaning for myself, a relationship with myself? That's the first component. The second component is how can I contribute to the people around me? There's only two components. Who am I and how do I fit? What's my purpose? Contribute to the people around me. That's why I really embraced and, and found reinforcement of the 12 steps, especially steps 11 and 12. Those, those are the two components that bring me to what I have discovered is a life that flourishes. I have found out who I am. All right. And my purpose is to contribute to the people around me. I didn't say service and I didn't say helping. I just said to contribute to the people around me. Does that help? 
Yes, I just thank you both very much. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, Joe, any comments? Um, I'll, I'll save it for later, but All right, it, wonderful. it was great. It was a great question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Uh, pivotal, actually, uh, for steps two and three. Pivotal. Uh, Joanna, please. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you both so much. I'm, I, I'm so grateful to be here and we'll certainly follow up with some of the resources that you've yeah. um, provided. Um, and uh, you know, I've been in and out of 12-step rooms for oh, probably about 40 years. And I usually don't stay long because um, step two comes so quickly. You know, if it were step, <laughs> if it were step 10, I might be there longer, but it always pushes me away. And, and I, um, uh, I feel very other. And I feel that I um, get sort of a combination of, of pity for my lack of belief or, um, or sometimes a very warm encouragement, like, you know, like I'm a toddler at the, at the, you know, brink of taking their first step. And, you know, people are really hoping that that happens for me. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely an idea that, um, uh, that I can't really get this or succeed at whatever this is uh, without it. So I'm grateful for this. Um, and I, I am so grateful for, to Herb and, you know, for not, for using other words than God, because I feel like a wall immediately comes up. And um, it's been helpful to me to really explore with people um, individually, what do they mean when they say the word God? What does God mean to them? Because often I bring to it a whole bunch of um, presumptions or assumptions that may not be true. And um, sometimes I find that I'm not as different from other people as I think I am when I really delve into that and explore it. Personally, I wish people didn't use the term because particularly for um, a newcomer, I think it can be um, off-putting. So I wish people more globally use the terms um, higher power, but I don't run the group. So, you know, uh, so I, that doesn't happen. Um, but I just want to make one other comment, which is that, um, you know, I know uh, Herb and some other people have talked about how a rigid religious background has interfered with their developing a spirituality. And I actually think that my fairly rigid atheistic or agnostic background has interfered with developing a spirituality, mm -hmm. that I can be so wedded to what I don't believe that it sometimes can crowd out what I could believe. And so that's kind of what I've been trying to do is to set aside um, my, you know, whatever convictions, my, the closeness and to be more open. Um, uh, so, um, I also, okay, yeah. so thank you. No, that's a wonderful, uh, uh, coming from that completely different, uh, uh experience, um, with the same issue of, uh, interference as Joe. Yeah. I, I, I find that when I get, you know, bristled by other people's sharing, you know, if it seems finger pointing or condescending, um, uh, I, I can either just turn it off and wait for it to end, or the great thing about Zoom, press the mute button or the volume <laughs> button <laughs> and make them go away. Um, but I know that no matter what pronoun they're using, if they say you need to find God or die, or they're saying, 
I needed to find some power that I understand or I believe I would have died. They're really sharing their own personal experience. And, and you know, don't include me in your we. We of Alcoholics Anonymous go through the steps in this way. Really? All of us? Everyone? Right? You know, but, you know, they're speaking that way. But what they're meaning to say is this was my experience. And I'm concerned for you. Right. You know, they're expressing love, but it's coming across to me as instructional or condescending. And I close off to it immediately. I, I just, uh, I, you know, I, I'm offended by it. It makes me want to say, oh, you want to know how I stay sober without God? Same way you do, because there isn't one. But that wouldn't be helpful either. <laughs> you, know, you know, that's just a that's just a dick thing to do, right? Yeah. You know, it, and it isn't true for everybody. Yeah. One of the uh, experiences I had in one of my emotional sobriety workshops is somebody jumping up because they had this moment and it was ir they were irrepressible. And and he and I said, "What's going on, Jason?" And he said, "Herb, Herb, I I I got it." I said, "What's that?" He said, reality is not personal. It just is. And what you're talking about is when we hear something, we take it personally. Whereas what it really is, it's them telling you who they are, not who you are. And we don't have to take what people say personally. It's very personal to them, but not to me. So... Anyway, Joanna, uh, any other comments or questions? Um, the other one, I don't know whether there's any way of doing it, but I would love to continue some of the conversations with some people who have spoken. Is there any type of voluntary list of people who wouldn't mind? Mm. You know, I don't know. Um, All right. The meeting um, after the meeting. I will pursue that. Yeah. Um, I think we can send out to the people who participated a list of the emails for the people who participated. That way you can make up your own mind about that. I think we can do that. So I will pursue that. All right. Yeah, thanks. Um, Mike, please. Hi everyone, I'm Mike, I'm an alcoholic. Thanks Herb for um for uh, this, the spirituality series and for uh, Mary and Joseph Retreat Center for hosting it. And um, good to see you, Joe. Um, so I'm, I'm a Zoom, I'm a, I guess what they're calling a Zoom baby. I sober a little bit over a year now. And, you know, when I got, when I, when I got out of rehab, you know, I actually sort of did a little, had, a, had, had my foot in both camps, you know, traditional AA as well as um, secular AA. And the Beyond Belief um, uh, was one of the first ones that I attended. And I still do that too. I still do this, do that a year later. I get a lot out of both. Um, but for, for, you know, step two and step three and spirituality, you know, I, I got so hung up on spirituality. I was, I think when I was in rehab, I had to figure everything out. I even wrote out my own theology. I had to have my higher power defined before, right. <laughs> before I could, uh, before I could make any progress, you know, and at some point something flipped where I was, I, as best as I can describe it, is freedom from the need to know. I always wanted mm. to know. I had to know. Yeah. And I don't have that anymore. And it's, a, and, it's a, and it's a wonderful thing. And it's like, 
so it's well, you don't really have a concrete idea of a higher power today. No, I don't. But the program's working for me. Yeah. You know, and 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 one of the one of the terms that I like that I read, I think it was a quote from Dr. Zhang, the spiritus contra spiritum. And this kind of my approach is that I don't know what it is or if it is, but it doesn't matter. Um, it's you know, it's working and it and I'm seeing, you know, people I'm, it's working in my life and it's keeping me sober and it's actually letting me grow up and yeah. be uh, be a responsible and mature adult. So yeah. anyway, glad, glad I'm here. And uh, well, he, yeah, Dr. Jung, uh, Carl Jung uh, was the first one who sent a alcoholic patient that we know of uh, to find a spiritual experience. And obviously he did. He found the Oxford group. He never got into AA, but of course, then Ebby Thatcher got sober, Bill Wilson got sober, Dr. Bob got sober, and that's the history. Um, and he wrote a letter to Bill Wilson in 1961 in which he used that phrase. And in that letter, he says, alcoholics are, uh, I'm paraphrasing, alcoholics are uniquely spiritual people. They are looking for the spirit with a capital S. And they get distracted by spirits with a small s. Well, nice play on words. And he, at the end of the letter, he wrote, Spiritus contra spiritum, which means the spirit with a capital S is the antidote to spirits with a small s. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Anything else, Mike? No, thanks again, right. Joe and uh, Joe. Would you like Thank to comment you. on any of that? Yeah, my favorite word these days in this um, impossible goal of explaining the unexplainable is a phenomena. I, I like my addiction. I can't do a blood test to prove it. Um, you know, I, but I know I'm an alcoholic and, uh, you know, my son knows I'm an alcoholic, just the way I eat pecan pie <laughs> or, or just drive. Like we've got to get there when we're in no hurry, just keep going, keep going. Right. Just more is better. Right. You know, the way we go skiing. So, so it, I, I know it, I, I recognize it. I can't, I can't put a you know, words to it, but I know it. And I can see it in other people. I can see that phenomena. And I know the phenomena of recovery, even though I can't say exactly what they did to get sober, or even what I did to get sober. I can tell you what I did. I can't tell you what the secret sauce was, what the special ingredient was. So it it's, becomes a phenomena. I can't have an ultimate uh, definition, a thesis that I can put to peer review and uh, uh, you know, get consensus on, but, but I have this phenomena and that's, that's the best I can do with it. And Mike reminded me of that. Well, and you just reminded me of something in the big book. I don't know exactly what page, but Bill, uh, whatever the comments are, it says, it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter how you feel. It does matter what you do. We're going to tell you what we did. It doesn't say what we talked about or what we wrote about or what we know. We're going to tell you what we did. If you do what we do, you'll get what we got, which is to wake up. Yeah. Thanks so much, Joe. Uh, Liz, please. 
Hi, um, so much. This is so wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, I was going to ask a little bit about self hate, and if you, because like with step three, maybe decisions turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. I just find that I get really bad with a lot of self hate, and and even like muting people in meetings that I, don't, I'm like, oh, I want to mute them. I think that's just me self hating myself by hating and judging them, like self hate directed outward. And, and I, when I was doing, like, I went through and I was trying to do nightly inventories and perhaps I did it before I had, was ready, but, you know, was I selfish? Was I self-centered? And it was just brutal how I would um, attack myself. And I couldn't like get to God to, you know, pack something into the stream of life. Anyway, I, so I'm, I guess I'm struggling a little bit. And uh, my sponsor is like, well, let's go back. We're going to go back to one, two, three. So I thought this is a perfect workshop for me to come to. Um, but I was just wondering if, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, God, or if there is no God, the universe or love or whatever wants me to keep beating up on myself. And that's the nature of what led to my various addictions. I love your pecan pie because I'm drugs, alcohol, clutter, food, you name it. I got it. Um, anyway, I, I'm just grateful. I don't know. I, I just, I struggle with so much self and I just didn't know if you guys might have any um, thoughts. So thank you. I have a, an immediate thought. If you look on page 86, where Bill talks about the nightly review, he said, um, we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse or morbid reflection. And he doesn't say, because that'll make you feel bad. He said, because that will diminish your usefulness to others. So if in fact you're going into a negative judgment, self beating up type, then in fact, there's something unhealthy about that. My sense is if you do a step four inventory, the way the big book outlines it and the way I've experienced it, you get underneath the source of all of that and it begins to reconstruct and reframe your perception. And you really do get a new pair of glasses looking not only at the outside world, but at your own self. And then you've heard it probably in meetings, but it comes out of the literature on self-esteem. If you want self-esteem, do esteemable things. And that's what I had low self-esteem, which I didn't know. I covered it with grandiosity, uh, you know, that opposite kind of thing. Uh, but after I did the work and I began to change to see what the sources of the problems were, and I began to act better according to the principles, etc. I began to feel better about myself. And there was a sense of authentic appreciation of that. I'll put it into the words of Thomas Keating, that core of goodness that actually is me. I, I, I was able to have the masks of the, uh, my personal development experiences have them removed and or polished and reframed so that uh, they were healthy rather than unhealthy. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it's a process though. It, it, it doesn't take hours or days or weeks or months, it's years. <laughs> you got me in my guts, Liz. Um, you know, Alan Berger does a great job of describing uh, perfectionism as uh, not what it seems. 
right? You know, it's a self-destructive uh, perfectionism. Um, the idea of transcending our humanity uh, is a, a fool's errand. Yeah. And, uh, and he and I have talked about, I, I like to use the approach to sobriety uh, of being sober enough. I need to be sober enough and then move on to the next right thing. I, I can't do AA perfectly. I can't do a perfect inventory. Uh, step six and seven, maybe we'll talk about that some other uh, uh, workshop. Uh, it right. gives the impression that you can transcend your humanity, that all of those things will be removed. But it's just uh, developing better coping mechanisms for dealing with them, not being so controlled by them. Uh, but uh, I want to be a sample of sobriety, not an example. If I'm an example, I better be better tomorrow than I am today. Nice. But as a sample, I can have good days and bad days. And just this is how it is for this particular sample. And uh, there's no pressure to you know, live up to my standards, your standards, any other standards, and um, so so those are the things I try to do to sort of not trap myself in that not good enough, Joe, you know, bad Joe. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, Liz, any comments? No, just that's just great. Yeah, thank you both. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just I'm polishing up a reflection uh, on um, life, and and it came to me, life is a practice. Going along with exactly what Joe just said, life is just a practice. Oh, I'm just practicing, and the ten step allows me to course correct. Mm -hmm. I just I can change courses anytime I'm conscious that I'm disturbed, I can be in alignment. I have to do some things and I have to talk to some people for some advice and for accountability because I'm parts of me are dishonest with myself. <laughs> but the people who love me will tell me the truth, even though it hurts my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Liz, so much. Joe. We're about ready to wrap it up unless we got some more comments. We don't yet, but <clears throat> go ahead. I will uh, wrap it up with this little story. Uh, I, you know, we could start all over again. I'd be fine. I didn't know I'd have this much energy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. But, go ahead. No, I just say Joe has been ill. And yeah. so he didn't yeah, I, know whether uh, he was. I, I went to Calgary. I haven't reported on the the conference yet because I, I came back with COVID and uh, on the mend here and it's going through my house and yeah, but, uh, but I'm uh, one of the lucky ones. I'm do doing okay. But um, I just want to tell a story about a conversation I had with uh, a sponsor of mine in early recovery he was, he had two jobs. He was a bus driver and he was a bartender. Sometimes I would meet at, at Cousineau's Tavern in saint anne de Bellevue, Quebec, where he was working. I'd be drinking my ginger ale and between rounds, he'd sit down and we'd do 12 step work. And um, don't write this down. It's not a recommendation, just my experience. Um, and um, 
I remember I was talking about, well, you know, I, I think this program could will work for me. And he said, do you have faith it'll work, Joe? Well, faith, well, uh, you know, that's a, that's a $10 word. Uh, are you inviting me back into the debating club? Can we get all semantics about this? And he said, no, no, there's a difference between uh, belief and faith. And I said, you'll have to explain that to me. He said, well, Joe, I could tie a rope from one roof of a 40-story building to another roof of a 40-story building and tell you, Joe, I can wheel a wheelbarrow from one roof to the other. And you might go, yeah, sure, John, I believe you. But if you have faith, you'll sit in the wheelbarrow, sight unseen. Mm -hmm. So, Joe, do you have faith that this program can work for you? Yeah. Step two, step three. Well, and that's where I focus on the nature of decision. Bill asks us in step two about a choice and in step three about a decision. Those are synonym words for my free will. There's no knowledge connected to it. There's no emotion connected to it. There's just a decision. But then, of course, he says at the end of step three, your decision won't work long term unless you begin to take some action. Perfect. Wow, that's great. We didn't plan this, but look at how it emerges. Thanks very much, Joe. I'm going to take a risk. I attempted to wash the third step prayer for us today in light of what I anticipated to be the discussion. And so it's not the third step prayer from the big book. It is a washed version. And let's see how it goes. You're welcome to pray it. Everybody's on mute or not pray it. And it, or just have your mind and your heart open to the reality of it. It's about consent. That third step prayer in the big book, I believe, is about alignment with reality. None of those words are in the big book. Power in and of the universe. I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as you wish. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better live in alignment with reality. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help to access power, love, and especially our way of living. May I be in alignment with reality always. Thanks everybody for taking the time to join us and the dialogue that we had. I know Joe and I really enjoyed it. And um, he just gave me an opening to invite him back so that we'll do something in the future, probably on steps four through seven. That sounds like the next piece of work for us, Joe.